Welcome to the Fantasy Football Predictive Analytics with Reese Tiefertiller. Welcome to the first for 2021 Fantasy Football Predictive Analytics podcast with Reese Tiefertiller and the great Lord Reeves, Rich Rebar. Rich, how's it going? Guys, what's going on? We made it. Uh, well, not made it quite yet. We're a month away from the season starting, but, you know, we're right on the door. Everyone's coming in. They're ready to draft fantasy teams. We had a preseason game last week. Everyone's kind of got football on the forefront of their minds over all the other sports. Uh, so it's kind of a, a great time for us because at this point in the summer, we're we're ready to kind of just get to the season. You know, we're, all the hot takes have been dispensed. All of our analysis has really kind of been poured out. We're ready to just draft our teams and start. I got to read Reese's book, the most recent uh, edition, uh, you know, in June, and I loved it. Uh, I appreciate uh, that you guys gave me a little kind of peek behind the curtain, you know, early on. Uh, but it was great, and I look forward to, like I said, one day working for Reese under his <laughs> under his uh, ascension. You know, hopefully he doesn't forget me that I had a part in reading in it and helping out a little bit, even if it was a little bit. So uh, I might be looking for a job here in the next couple of years. Oh, so two things. Reese's book, same name, Fantasy Football Predictive Analytics, is up on Amazon. And you mentioned the NFL season, the Thursday Hall of Fame game, Rich, going against head-to-head to the Olympics. Still drew 7 million viewers, more than any NBA game last year. The NBA, the NFL market is strong. Yeah, absolutely. Everyone was tuning in for Ben DiNucci. We were looking for Ben <laughs> DiNucci, you know, hair on fire, sidearm throws, uh, because that's all we need in August. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so speaking about, you know, breakout players like Ben DiNucci, because we all know he's going to be starting week one for the Cowboys. <laughs> Who do you expect to establish a role for their offense based off their preseason play? Uh, Reese, you mean all the players that in the NFL who you think is going to like emerge? Uh, yes, but, but mostly for the offense. I mean, well, just like kind of just some guys that we're looking for in preseason. Remember last year, we didn't even have any preseason, so we didn't even get this. Like it was a lot of, you know, kind of guesswork. We're actually going to get to see over the course of the next three weeks. I don't know if that last week, how many – reps guys are going to get if they're going to treat it like the old school fourth game where they like the remember there's always a ramp up where you didn't play a lot in the first game then you ramp up the second game play like a half in the third game and then kind of just like get like one drive or no reps in the fourth game because it was kind of like you didn't want to get hurt at the, at the very tail end uh but with the three games it's gonna be interesting to see how they kind of disperse snaps but remember last year not having it we didn't get any like clues in on like any of the rookies like is he working with the ones is he working with the twos when this team goes three wide receivers like was this guy kicking the slot like we didn't get any of that last year you know where we had like some new offenses you know like a team like joe like the panthers last year what if we would have known in the preseason that it was that it was gonna be robbie anderson running the intermediate routes dj moore being the vertical lid lifter it might have changed people's kind of opinions you know coming in the season so this year we're gonna get to see some of that over the course of the next couple of weeks uh guys getting to work in uh, i can tell you a couple of situations that i'm looking forward to kind of seeing it under that light um one would be like the panthers i do want to see joe brady kind of diversify the way he used those pass catchers last year uh we would like to see robbie anderson and dj Moore kind of their roles merge what they were last year and you're adding a big slot guy like terrence marshall he's not a uh, direct overlap at all by any means of what curtis samuel was brought to the, the party as a play 
as a wide receiver in that offense last year. So it's going to be really interesting to see how they kind of diversify the roles there if they do at all. Uh, but then, you know, we've got these rookie situations. We've got the both of the rookie quarterbacks that we know that probably won't start week one, but they might start soon. And Trey Lance and Justin Fields, how are those guys going to look in the preseason? We absolutely, the 49ers in general, we want to see is Trey Sermon. Is he a guy that's going to be working with the ones early? How does he fit in with Raheem Mostert? I um, mean, if you look at Raheem Mostert, you know, uh, his career so far, the last two years of the four years, he has more rushing touchdowns outside of the red zone than inside of the five yard line, which is pretty unheard of for a running back. Uh, you know, just three of 15 for the last two years in the 49ers and converting those carries inside the five, while other 49ers backs are 18 of 54, uh, you know, or 18 of 34 converting those carries. So like, you know, right around 50%, there's a big gap there. So there's a, an area where Trey Sermon can immediately come in get goal line work on an offense that we already know is a pretty tremendous schedule layout. Uh, and then if Trey Lance, you know, takes over, it's going to add a different dynamic to this offense. So there's a lot of rookies seeing how they fit in. We kind of were talking about the show about the Jaguars a little bit, like what kind of, what is their offense going to look like? Is it going to be more urban Meyer? Is it going to be more Daryl Bevel, Brown, Schottenheimer? How does this thing kind of congeal together? We're going to have preseason games this year to kind of figure out like what kind of stuff they're working on and what they're running. I don't think we'll have a situation like we did two years ago with Cliff Kingsbury. Remember when Cliff tried to do nothing in the preseason and they were just a train wreck. And then they were a little slow out of the gates that year too, because they just didn't work on enough in preseason trying to hide stuff. Um, I remember they had like a Monday night preseason game with Kyler Murray and he was just awful just just abysmal the, the offense they were trying to run because they're trying to hide stuff and then cliff said if he had to do that over you know it's they wouldn't have done that they would have actually in game worked on some stuff uh we've got you know arthur smith changing to atlanta like what kind of uh as you know we're going to see that situation play out the chicken and egg versus what the titans efficiency was last two years what who gets the credit was it just brian Tannehill? was it arthur smith now we're gonna have arthur smith in atlanta you know they don't have julio jones anymore for the first time in a decade uh you know we're gonna see kyle pitts you know is he working in line you know there's just a lot of kind of uh scenarios here we've had player movement we're gonna get to see new systems being implemented in this kind of you know it's not like glorified practice anymore. Like people used to treat it as it actually is actual information that you can uh, watch and you can kind of take data from and kind of apply to what we're going to have going forward into our drafts these last couple of weeks of August. And, you know, kind of finalize some of our, some of our thoughts on some of these players. Uh, I know that wasn't kind of the answer you're looking for a couple of breakouts, but those are like just some of the things I really am just like top down thinking about what, like being excited for, uh, you know, come Thursday in the next coming weeks. So two follow-ups. How about the – I'm going to give you three situations, and you just run with them. If you're drafting Superflex type of league, which Houston quarterback do you go after? Which New Orleans quarterback do you go after? Because I think those are difficult. In which late – because they're all late, but Lions receiver do you you go after? Because they're going to be playing from behind a lot. Yeah, those are all interesting. I mean, with the so if you're a super flex league with Houston, I mean, I definitely believe that there is enough kind of fire to the smoke that Deshaun Watson is not going to play for that team again uh, by either, you know, process of trade, suspension, or a combination of all the above. Uh, so, I mean, we know Tyrod's going to start, but there's no way they're going to be good enough to just not play Davis Mills at some point. So they're going to – we're going to see kind of Davis Mills eventually play. Even – I know he hasn't been – getting any glowing reports in camp. But the point is Houston's just going to be too bad not to take a look at him. So if they use the third round pick on a, on a quarterback, 
there's just no reason for them not to at least look at it if they're going to be staring at down the gun barrel of being able to take another quarterback highly next year uh, to kind of replace Deshaun Watson. So I would expect, you know, Tyrod to start. Uh, he really was not good the last time we saw him as a starter in Cleveland. I know last year he got kind of a raw deal and get really getting to start the one game before the accidental injection. Uh, but that team's just not going to be good enough to, to have him start throughout. You know, there's just he's not the future of the franchise. They're going to take a look at Davis Mills at some point. The Saints are really interesting because. When you look at what they did last year and in 2019 with Teddy Bridgewater, it's different when you just have to plug a hole for a month. Right. And you, what the Saints did the last two years when Drew Brees basically missed the, uh, four games each season was they went and they went hyper conservative. They went really run heavy, tried to just play turnover free football, limit mistakes, play good defense. And that was it. Get, get by until Brees comes back. And they were really good and they were successful both years doing that. That is that would lean towards you saying, well, that means they're going to go to Taysom Hill, right? That's really hard to sustain that brand of football over the course of 17 games. You can do it as like a relief pitcher, as a spot starter. Get me through this month. Maybe we go two and two, we go three and one, like like Taysom did last year. But to go for 17 games and play that style of football, you're going to need more upside. Because when you look at the, the Saints splits of the past two years with and without Breeze, they lost seven points per game in those games, and they lost over a point per drive when, the, when they had to go to Teddy Bridgewater and Taysom Hill. The record was fine because they got through stretches of the season. But then when you think about last year, too, and Taysom comes in, he gets two games against the Falcons. They have the Kendall Hinton game, which basically should be stricken from the records as a real football game altogether. Uh, and then they lose that game into the Eagles and Jalen Hurts' first start. Uh, so it's not like he had like a really a lot of quality wins under his belt either. So I think it's a really fragile way to play football. I think one of seeing both guys. The other element in play is that both of those years, when Drew Brees was gone, they still had Michael Thomas on the field and they just jammed him with targets and uh, in, in all those stretches. He actually had a higher target rate in the games without Brees than he had with Brees uh, over that span. You know, the 12, we have a 12 game sample of Brees uh, uh, with Michael Thomas's career, either leaving the field early or missing the game entirely. And he has a 33% target share in those games. Wow. That is, that is bonkers. That's like Brandon Marshall, the Chicago bear season when he yeah. just like was just getting peppered with targets repeatedly. Um, so, I mean, they don't have Michael Thomas now. We know they're not going to have him. He's probably gonna be on the PUP and they have a week seven by, I believe they either a week six or a week seven by. So it's an extra week that they're not, you know, he's not going to be on fantasy rosters because he's going to miss an extra game. Uh, so it's going to be a really interesting dynamic. I think we're going to see both guys. Uh, I don't know if a two QB system could work, but it would seem that, you know, if they're, if they're playing with a lead or if they're in control of games, Taysom would be the guy. And when you've got to pass your way out of things, it would be Jameis Winston, but they just don't have the weaponry. I mean, I'm a little bit intrigued by Marcus Callaway, Traquan Smith's in a final year's contract. He hasn't broken out. Uh, they're counting on Troutman to take a huge step forward. If you remember two years ago, they traded the rest of their entire draft to trade up for Troutman. They traded every other pick they had in the draft to just trade up and get Troutman. So they're definitely high on him. Um, but just, yeah, this is an offense that's really going to try the first basically six weeks of the season to run their offense, the passing game, through a running back, which is really hard to do in today's NFL. Uh, so, um, yeah, the Saints are going to be really interesting. The Lions, uh, the Lions schedule is just so miserable, too, for their situation. It's so tough because, you know, Jared Goff's got kind of a raw deal. I don't think Jared Goff is, is by any means an elite quarterback, uh, but, you know, Jared Goff was the number one pick overall. He was a guy that did have some talent. He, he's and he's become such a punching bag, and he's been now placed in this situation where he's basically a patsy. 
he, there's just no he's just like, he's just not in a situation to win at all uh the offensive line is good there I think they will be able to run the football a little bit at least while game script allows them to uh but you know it's it's TJ Hawkinson and DeAndre Swift and you look at these other receivers Rashad Perriman he's never had 40 catches in an NFL season Tyra Williams hasn't had more more than 43 catches in a season since 2016 uh, Quintus Cephas, 20 catches as a, as a rookie. Uh, they've got Cleef Raymond. Uh, it's just not, it's just not a situation that's going to really breed any type of positive outcome for Jared Goff. I would say that if I'm going to take a flyer on any of those guys, I just lean towards Amon Ross St. Brown. Uh, he was a guy that, you know, was, was miscast two years ago as a boundary receiver, uh, or no, I'm sorry. Last year he was miscast as an outside receiver. And two years ago when Michael Pittman was there, he thrived in the slot. Uh, and that's what he is. He's basically a glorified big slot guy, which is fine because that's going to suit into kind of Jared Goff's kind of, you know, where his, his rhythm throws come from. You know, Goff's not a guy that's going to push the ball downfield, which is interesting because all they've built that offense around outside of Amon Ross St. Brown is all guys that go vertical. Tyra yeah. Williams, Rashad Perriman, Cleef Raymond, Quintus Sebas, those are all vertical receivers. Uh, so, I mean, it's, it's a bummer that Goff basically it's going to be tough for him to what I'm saying is it's going to be tough for him to have like a Ryan Tannehill esque turnaround just because of the situation he's put in. Uh, the, the situation is not doing him a lot of favors. Another thing about the, you mentioned Ryan Tannehill, Ryan Tannehill went from Adam Gase to Arthur Smith. And now <laughs> Goff is going from Sean McVay to someone who's saying that they will bite the kneecaps off their opponent. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's one of those. I I guess I lean Perriman because he looked okay a little bit last year, you know. But you you bring up a good point. It may be just best to you know go all in on Hawk and hope he gets 150 targets or whatever. <laughs> right. I mean, decent chance. Yeah. And even DeAndre Swift is no chump in the passing game. Or or uh, Jamal Williams. Jamal Williams. Yeah. It's going to be a very intermediate shallow passing game, uh, which is funny because like we talked about all the receivers they added. But, yeah, you talk about Hawk and Amon Ra and then Swift and Jamal Williams out of the backfield. That's kind of like the strength of their talent, uh, you know. So it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. I will, Their schedule is just such a nightmare. You just try to find some wins because I was looking at it. It's like, well, they have a good offensive line, and we know they're going to have with between Anthony Lynn and Dan Gamble, they're going to want to run the football while they can but then you just go on their schedule and you're just like oh this is this is rough uh this is a real rough outlook trying to squeeze out some w's on the schedule oh yeah so who are some of the players or even situations that the fantasy community is not as high as they should be on um yeah that's a great question uh you know trying to think off the top of my head uh just the people might be kind of down on maybe from an offensive stance um um this just grasping off the top of my head here um just really really reaching <laughs> give me throw you some names yeah yeah hit me with some just right. to get the wheels turning here galladay beckham odell uh oh well, the brown i mean the browns are, are i didn't know but people are high on the browns though right but like, not beckham <laughs> for fancy beckham's like in uh he's not you know none of the receivers are that rated for fancy and I would even throw in like Sutton for his boys or I don't know. There's just, you know, like there's some guys that we just in the fancy community are slow to get up to speed on, 
You know, what I, I mean? forgot. Like, to, yeah, I was thinking like, yeah, I was thinking on a team level. Uh, Denver is a great one though. When you talk about Denver, uh, you know, because we don't know what we're gonna get out of Drew Locke. I would assume that they want him to win the job, but there's no lock. To, yeah, no pun intended either. There's no lock to win the job. But uh, you look at the style of football Denver wants to run. So obviously, you got Vic Fangio as a head coach. They've got a really good defense. And they, what they're positioned to do is just not have a guy lose you games. Like, like Drew Locke has basically kind of been in this from a turnover perspective is two years in the career, two years into his career. And, you know, he's, he had the, the good QB win loss record as a rookie, but really didn't do anything to help them win any of those games. Uh, so a guy like Teddy Bridgewater, who is not exciting, he's kind of, you know, on an Alex Smith kind of level, but he's not going to lose you games. And you have a defensive minded head coach, on the first first hand, like you just that's going to adhere to the qualities of Vic Fangio, especially a guy that's now in his third year as a head coach. Like he's got to win some games this year. Um, and then you talk about just what Drew Locke did in terms of these pass catchers, because when you look at the Denver pass catchers, I mean, they sunk a lot of capital into these guys. Noah Fant, Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, Albert O, uh, KJ Hamler. They've invested into these kind of skill players and they had the lowest catchable target rate in the NFL last season. So getting a guy like Teddy, the Carolina Panthers were seventh in catchable target rate. Getting the the ball into these players' hands that you've been sunk all this capital in could actually make these guys, you know, give them a nice little turnaround too uh, in fantasy as well. I do like Judy a lot. Uh, he he definitely kind of checks out early in his career to be like a DJ Moore, like ready to make that DJ Moore like jump. I don't think the touchdowns will really be there, but just getting a guy that can kind of pepper him with uh, targets. He's very uh, Stefan Diggsian in a way too that he's just really good on all levels. Uh, but just probably not going to score a lot of touchdowns early in his career. He actually didn't even catch uh, an end zone target or a, a, a target in the red zone last season as a rookie. Um, and then Sutton, you know, coming off of that ACL, we've seen some pet that turn. He's getting some more positive reports. I like him a lot in keeper formats because um, where he goes in ADP, because there's still kind of a, a mass situation, even if Teddy plays like, his touchdowns probably come down. He's more of those like high cholesterol target guy, like a Mike Williams uh, in, in on the Chargers, the guy that's going to run vertical routes and win these clashing situations. That's not really Teddy's game if he takes over at some point in the season. But when you look at Cortland Sutton, big picture, he'll be a year removed away from the ACL. Do, does Denver add Aaron Rodgers if he stays in Denver? And then he's also a restricted uh, free agent next year. So he can go somewhere else and possibly potentially run into a better situation, situation as well. Uh, he's a really intriguing guy in keeper formats. Michael Gallup is like that as well uh, because, you know, he's we've already seen Dallas say they're not going to extend him in season. Uh, so he could basically go and, and run into a better situation next year, being a one B or a wide receiver two on a team next year. Um, the Brown situation with Odell, because Odell is such a polarizing guy, like you brought up. What's interesting is the Browns actually, once they cleared those two games, like the horrendous weather, remember they played uh you know that the raiders and the texans and like those wind storms and rainstorms but when they came out of that they actually were more aggressive throwing the football and throwing the football on early downs and the offense was really good that's when they hit their stride going into the playoffs last year and being baker he was a top 12 quarterback in four of his final six games last season and that was without odell they you know learning a new system in the in the pandemic year uh, I think Baker got really comfortable as the season we're on. And now adding a guy like Odell Beckham to that comfort level, I think is only going to help. It's not a negative that, that the, the, the splits when they say, well, maybe the Browns offense was better with Odell Beckham. Like stop, like, stop that. Like, it's not, there's no way that that's true on any level uh, when you have a, a talent like Odell Beckham is. An interesting thing for fantasy, 
is he's the cheapest he's ever been at this point in his career because we really haven't had a full season of him since 2016. Uh, but we had a little glimpses last year before he tore the ACL. Uh, the, you think about that Cowboys game where he looked like the Odell Beckham of old. Where like it, 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 the Remember Odell is like, if he touches the ball, it could be a touchdown. That's like where we were with him when he was in, in the early stages of his career. And it felt like that a little bit last year. Like we we're getting to that type of player back. Uh, and then you compound things with the injury. But I actually did a study at Sharp Football Analysis uh, on discounted wide receiver ones and Kenny Galladay kind of falls into this, uh, you know, tier two. And you brought up his name. Uh, Cause a lot of people ask the question when you're in your draft, you're saying, well, I'm going to take this guy because he's the, this team's wide receiver one versus this guy that might be the wide receiver two on his team or the third target, but it's a better offense. Uh, but I actually showed that in the wide receiver three portion of the drafts, like you're talking about the outside of the top 24 receivers up to like wide receiver 40, that those team wide receiver ones have just smoked the team, non-team wide receiver ones uh, in terms of beating ADP, finishing as wide receiver twos are higher, finishing as wide receiver ones are higher, and even having top six seasons in fantasy football. And we have guys like Kenny Galladay, uh, Brandon Ayuk, Odell Beckham, all in that section of the draft now that fit that profile that are going under some guys like Chase Claypool, who's he could be the number one wide receiver on the team, but he also could easily be the number three target on the team. Uh, you've got a guy like T Higgins. Like we don't know how the target, uh, the targets are going to disperse this season in Cincinnati. I mean, all three of those guys are going to get targets, but will he be the alpha uh, remains to be seen, but those guys are going ahead of those guys in uh, ADP right now. And uh, history history has shown that the team wide receiver ones that are in the draft have been way more bankable bets and have outkicked their coverage uh, more often than those other players. It's almost like Reese, I have one for you. You ready? Sure. Miko, uh, Hardeman, or Galladay? Because they have pretty close ADPs, don't they, Rich? I mean, fairly close. Well, there's a little surge now, but Galladay still goes like around like why he's been going around wide receiver 30 in redraft leagues, especially after the, the hamstring injury. Hardman's starting to climb. He went wide receiver 44 in a current draft I'm in right now with a bunch of industry guys. So he's starting to climb a little bit, but they haven't quite overlapped yet. Um Hardman's Hardman's going to be one of those guys too. Like it's just, if he climbs a little bit higher, it gets harder to pull on. But when he is like around wide receiver 50, it's just like still year three wide receiver attached to Patrick Mahomes. Like it's still asymmetrical upside, right? Like even if you're down on the player, I don't think through two years, McCall Hardman's really showed a lot of nuance as as a wide receiver. Uh, You know, obviously still a big play guy, but just hasn't shown a lot where he can just win as a wide receiver, uh, you know, all the time. Right. Uh, but when you're talking about just having just a cheap guy attached to Patrick Mahomes who can create big plays and he's the wide receiver 50, it's kind of worth the squeeze. Now he starts to climb a little bit and you're, you got to take him over guys like Darnell Mooney, uh, you know, kind of guys in that area that have shown that they do have actually some actual wide receiver acumen to their games. Uh, then it gets a lot harder. I think, you know, when you're talking about taking him over guys like Brandon cooks, who was wide receiver 42 in the same draft and Hardman goes, you know, two picks there, you know, guys like DJ shark. Guys have uh, really shown that they actually can play the wide receiver position. Then it kind of gets into an area where, you know, that asymmetrical upside starts to get really, it starts to wane. Uh, So it's interesting to see where he finishes because he's gotten really all positive buzz so far in camp. Um, But also, like I said, through two years of actual on-field production, like he really has just not shown a lot of ways he can win as an actual wide receiver. Oh yeah. So let me, let me hit you with a different one then. All right. Let's see. You ready for this? Yeah. Go for it. Julio Jones or Mike Evans. I'll take it. Ooh, that's a that's a good one now. Uh, because you know, when you look at the Julio Jones in terms of career arc, uh, 
you know, obviously we're getting there, uh, you know, approaching, approaching the 11th hour with Julio where it could just be, this is his last season, right? Like it, it just might, it might be it for Julio. Uh, but if you look at his play last year, it's still, we're not there yet. Uh, in his full games, he played last year, he averaged hundred receiving yards per game. Uh, he was still an interesting dynamic. Here's how he fits with the Tennessee Titans. Julio was number one in the NFL in EPA on throws 10 through 19 yards, the intermediate targets. And who was the number one quarterback in EPA on those throws? Ryan Tannehill. Uh, so you get that play action game and you get Julio running these digs and the linebackers get sucked up. Like it really, it's a really nice fit for Julio. Um, whereas you look at this buck situation and Mike Evans last year really saved his bacon last year, just by scoring a ton of touchdowns. Uh, you know, he, he actually was, he was second behind Adam Thielen and percentage of PPR fantasy points that come just from touchdowns alone. It's going to be really hard for him to sustain that. He also had the, uh, lowest uh, target share he's had in his NFL career last year. He also set career lows in targets per game, receptions per game, and yardage per game. So if he does have those touchdowns kind of come back a little bit, the floor gets a little bit lower than it even was last year. And his weekly floor wasn't the greatest. He actually had his fewest amount of wide receiver one scoring weeks they had in the season for his career as well. Uh, so you look at this Bucks team and the way it's constructed with Tom Brady, there's going to be a lot of oscillation here week to week. It's gonna, there's gonna be weeks where it's an Evans week. There's gonna be weeks where it's an Antonio Brown week. There's weeks where it's a Godden week. There's gonna be weeks where the tight ends get going because they're getting OJ Howard back too. They've got capable tight ends. You add Geo as a capable pass catcher to his backfield. This team is just gonna have a lot of fluctuation because it's filled with good players and they're productive players. But Tom Brady and this offense is gonna ride what's going that week, right? Like, where's the game plan? Where are we attacking the defense? And there's going to be weeks where it's going to be one of those guys uh, one week and then one the next. And we kind of saw that kind of play out even through the playoffs where it was, you know, you'd have Antonio Brown as kind of making a play. But then the, the even in the Super Bowl, those guys had no receptions out three or fewer receptions. So they're going to really eat each other up a little bit. I do like Julio a little bit more because I think that there's less of a, there's a more narrow target tree. When the Titans throw the football, they're throwing it to A.J. Brown or they're throwing it to Julio Jones probably get a little bit extension for Ferkser, but we just don't know where, like he's not a guy that's also going to command a lot of targets either. Maybe he makes that jump, but we know when they throw the football, it's going to those two players. Cause they're not even going to really incorporate anyone out of the backfield a lot. Yeah. Maybe Darrington Evans gets some more burn, but we know Derek Henry's not going to command a large target share. So Julio Jones, I still think, even though he is approaching that 11th hour and his career arc is saying, you know, you, you Jeff, you're in dynasty leagues, you know, what do you do with Julio? Like you, you really, you can't sell him for any value. You said either get off or you just ride into the sunset. And uh, I think I'm ready to ride this thing into the sunset. Oh yeah. I, I'm a buy and ride, you know, cause <laughs> you can't, can't get, um, you can't get production easily, but I'm not even convinced Antonio Brown's not the wide, well, uh, the wide receiver one down Tampa, right? Cause I'm he's Brady's you. guy. He led, he led the team at target share over the past since like week 10 of the second week coming back to Tampa and versus Julio, who you know he's the wide receiver too, but you still also know there's not uh, two other people eating up targets because as you were saying earlier, uh, one wide receiver, one is not, not even close to equal of two lower end wide receivers in terms of targets that they take up. So Rich, is that right? You have those numbers that Brown really had the, the dominating uh, target share there. Well, they had uh remember they had some guys go in and out of the lineup 
uh, at that span. So when there was uh, through the playoffs, I do have it where they where they had all three guys healthy. And, you know, mind you, there's no OJ Howard in these in these games as well. So they played 10 full games together and the targets were Evan 73, Godwin 71, uh, Antonio Brown 59. But the catchers were 45, 46, 42. Uh, pretty much as, as layered in as you can get. Uh, Evans had the big overhead, though, as he had eight end zone targets, and Godwin and Brown combined for six. They each had three because uh, Gronk still was kind of the other guy. They, they used When they got in the red zone, they really peppered Evans and Gronk. Um, so that, those are the guys they really used to score touchdowns. It's interesting O.J. Howard uh, cuts into that because the two games O.J. Howard played, he also had four end zone targets. Uh, early in the season so it's gonna be really kind of interesting if that just kind of takes away a little bit from Evans um, but yeah I mean this is gonna like I said it's really gonna be a week-to-week thing I think with these Buccaneers not just the receivers with the tight ends and the running backs too it's gonna be weeks where it's it's just they've got a, they've got a lot of talent and they've got a guy in Tom Brady that is just gonna attack the defense where they're most vulnerable it's he's done that his entire career so there's gonna be a lot I think of oscillation uh, in terms of who comes out ahead that that particular week for the Buccaneers playmakers in general, not just their receivers, but the backs and tight ends as well. But I do think Reese is uh, peering into a crystal ball just because Evans and Godwin missed a lot of games down mm-hmm. the stretch. And neither has been that durable. You know, Brown really has, other than his uh, off the field reasons Antics. for missing games. But, <laughs> you know, down the stretch, Brown did. I mean, Brown was like a receiver one or two for most weeks for fantasy down the stretch, wasn't he? I mean, he had some. Yeah, you, I mean, he, he was he was top 30 in, you know, targets, catches, and receiving yards when he joined the Bucks. And listen, him and Brady, have ob- they've had that mind melt. Remember, you know, two years ago when he just joined the Patriots, like basically the week of a game, and Brady – him and Brady connected on like every target, but one against the dolphins. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, he was basically, you know, uh, got suspended the rest of the season. They, they released him. Um, Cause that was basically the, the tumultuous year for, year for oh, yeah. Antonio Brown. Uh, a lot of, a lot of things were going on with him, but you seen even last year, like when he can still play too, like he's another guy that it's, it's not like he can't play anymore. Um, and he was their big play guy. He was the guy that was getting like the shot plays when they added him. Uh, and he had the huge game when Mike Evans left against the Falcons where he had 14 targets yeah. uh, and just went bonkers that, that game. Uh, but yeah, he can still play. He's and all like the camp, uh, the camp news has been really positive towards Antonio Brown. I think Bruce Arians even had a quote today talking to us as good as he's looked since he's been there. Uh, that's what I said, man, the, the bucks are a tricky situation because they, we know that their offense is going to score points. They're going to score a bunch of points, but like, how do we glom on to one specific player uh, for a week-to-week basis on this roster? I think there's going to be a lot of headaches where you run into some lean weeks on guys, but you're just going to have to fight through. If you got one of those guys, you just have to leave them in your lineup if you want to catch the best of them because you might miss out on a big week too. Yeah, I think Reese will be proven right on this one. But that, I'm an Antonio Brown fancy fan more than like the other stuff. And he's the cheapest guy. I mean, typically when you get in these situations, everyone just says, listen, man, take the cheapest guy. Yeah, because – uh, Godwin and Everett are roughly going around wide receiver 13 through 16, mm-hmm. 17, and Brown's going wide receiver 40s with Michael yep. Hardman. And Galladay. And so that puts your te- your one to the test, right? Where's Galladay? Did you say 40? 30. 30. He's, he's dropping around wide receiver 30 now. He was floating right around like the wide receiver 2-3 cutoff, but since he had yeah. the hamstring injury, 
it's kind of it, it's started to trickle down and literally every report from the Giants has been negative <laughs> from Giants camp has been negative this offseason so far uh, Joe so, for president. <laughs> so hopefully they can turn it around but uh it's been a nightmare man so far for the Giants fans a lot of people were banking on hopefully a, a Josh Allen like uh, third season from Daniel Jones. And uh, I think that those are those types of seasons that Josh Allen had uh, were induced by a lot of smart people in charge, like Brian Dayball, uh, flipping flipping his kind of uh, narrative on what he was and how he called plays throughout his career. The Bills put Josh Allen in just a tremendous situation to succeed and maximize everything by bringing Stephon Diggs, throwing the ball heavy on first downs, also reining in his deep ball and lowering his ADOT, giving him more bunnies and, and more successful throws. The Giants still have Jason Garrett um, <laughs> in that offensive line. It's just really hard to think that that Daniel Jones has one of those types of breakouts in him. I hope he does play better than he did last year. Uh, but the, to, just to think, just to believe he has a Josh Allen-like breakout, I'm going to say that's probably pretty low probability. <laughs> I don't even think he has a Ryan Tannehill type of breakout in him. You mentioned uh, Buffalo giving uh, Allen some bunnies. What's interesting is doing it without receiving out of the backfield or tight end receptions. You know what I mean? Like they don't throw the tight end. They don't throw to the running back, but they still hammer those, those shorter dot throws. I mean, it was basically their entire passing game and they were number one in the NFL and, you know, passing on first down. They, Josh Allen, uh, led the, led the league in a percent of throws on first down of his own pass attempts and his splits were just, uh, tremendously more successful on those first down throws than not. He still would give us glimpses of being the Josh Allen from the previous two years, uh, under pressure. He had, he still was, he was 36 in differential from throws, uh, yards for pass attempt from a clean pocket under pressure. So when teams could pressure him, we still, we still saw some of those mistakes, um, and then, like I said, when he was forced to throw on like third down, long down distances, uh, it, it really recoiled. And we saw some of that as well, too. So the Bills really put him in a great spot. I mean, Stephon Diggs, I mean, what's crazy is I wouldn't have thought going into last year, even being high on Stephon Diggs as a player, that it was going to be that situation that unlocked the best ceiling for Stephon Diggs. He was always a guy that we knew was just immensely talented and it hadn't come into fully together yet because you know he had played so many different roles and played with so many different quarterbacks you know he went from teddy bridgewater case keenum uh to sam bradford and the you know uh to kirk cousins and he played all these different roles as a lid popper he was just a, a shallow slot guy at one point he did all these things and he did them well we knew that the full-on talent was there and that this was the situation that just broke open the bank playing with josh allen who had been inaccurate for the first two years of his career, uh, Brian Dayball, who was a non-aggressive, you know, offensive coordinator as a play caller, and it all changes in your, in you know, this this last season in, in 2020, and it brings out the best of Stephon Diggs, and he was just an absolute monster the entire season. Um, so I mean, yeah, it's it's pretty crazy, but yeah, Diggs was always a guy to bet on for talent. I just wouldn't have thought that this was the situation that would have really made the ceiling all come together. Oh yeah. So I mentioned players that were high on, but what about players that? we are too high on to say. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple guys. I mean, uh, I think Justin Herbert is one of those guys. I mean, I think that he's a guy that improves as a quarterback. The situation is just so much better for him. Uh, you know, getting rid of, uh, you know, Anthony Lynn, uh, another guy that was just put Justin Herbert in just terrible situations. 42.3% uh, of his pass attempts are in bad spots, you know, down second through four, needing seven or more yards to go. Um, 
And then these, this offensive line is just so much better. I mean, being able to get uh, Corey Lindsley, you know, Rashawn Slater, add those guys, like Matt Flyer from uh, from the Pittsburgh. Uh, you know, you get an extra season of Brian Bulagu who missed time last year. Uh, the offensive line's better. I think that they take a step forward as an offense, but from a fantasy stance, I believe that he comes back because the way he won last year, uh, under pressure, long down and distances. Uh, the Chargers had the fifth highest, you know, split in terms of passing touchdowns to rushing touchdowns. Those things will probably even tighten up either. They probably have more rushing touchdowns this season than they did a year ago. Um, and he's not like a full-on runner like a lot of the guys that above him in ADP go. So he doesn't have that out either of having a game where he's going to hit you with 60 rushing yards or hit you with a couple rushing touchdowns. Um, he could be used as a goal-line runner like Josh Allen. He's big and athletic like that, but he's just not going to guy that's going to take off and, and run for that that many yards compared to the guys that go ahead of him, like the Lamars, a Kyler, uh, you know, Josh Allen, you know, even Russell Wilson. He's not going to have as much rushing yards as him. Uh, so I think that where he goes in ADP is really tricky because at quarterback, you just don't need to extend yourself if it's not one of those guys that have one of those like really immensely high dual outlet ceil ceilings. And I think, like I said, there's enough regression cooked in that I think some people will probably be a little bit disappointed if they don't get a top five season out of him. Um, um, and then trying to think like at other positions, uh, you know, at running back, basically anyone that doesn't catch passes is, is really tricky. I was our, I had Jonathan Taylor as a second rounder. So this just kind of course corrected uh, these, the injuries to Wines and Quentin Nelson kind of pulled things back. Uh, this is a team that when you look at their schedule, there's a very good chance they're going to start 0 and 5. Yeah. Uh, especially if they're not going to have Carson Wentz, a capable quarterback play under center. Uh, they get really put behind the eight ball. And we know Naheem Hines is going to be in that, you know, play from behind catch up mode role. So Jonathan Taylor could really have another slow start like he did last year. Um, I think he'll be fine over the course of the big picture of the season. But, you know, he's a guy that if you take as a, when you're taking as a first rounder, you're probably going to be a little bit let down. But now it's kind of course corrected. He is a second rounder. So I think it's palatable. Um, Jamar Chase is a guy just where his ADP is uh, just really tough to squeeze, you know, going right around wide receiver 22 as a, as a rookie wide receiver, the only other rookie wide receiver to be close to him in ADP Amari Cooper was wide receiver 20. Uh, if you go ahead uh, previously, Julio was the next highest rookie wide receiver in ADP at wide receiver 28. I just think what the rookie wide receivers did last year, really getting cooked into this with the season, Justin Jefferson had, then you had also, you know, positive outcomes from, you know, Brandon Ayuk, uh, CD lamb, uh, T Higgins, all those guys had positive seasons and it's getting kind of overcooked into kind of what, People wanted to chase that a little bit with Jamar Chase. Uh, again, no pun intended on the last name play. Uh, but there's just too many good receivers he goes around that I believe are bankable and have bankable floors for me to invest uh, that kind of draft capital on just an unknown, really. Uh, we've seen wide receivers, even the best wide receiver prospects, come in and have slow starts or come in and fail outright. Uh, so for me to take him around proven players uh, is really tough um all together uh and then at tight end i really don't have a guy because there are only like five good ones and the rest were all just selling on upside anyways uh so if you have your flavor of choice outside of maybe after mark andrews uh, i'm really not going to push back on it uh my favorite guys out of those good groups is probably is probably irv smith um just because of this the vikings passing schedule is so good the front half of the season he's a guy that gets Money targets, 22% of his targets have come in the red zone over, over his career the first two seasons. Uh, if you want to talk about Tyler Conklin cutting into some of his routes, 
through two years in the NFL, Irv Smith has nine end zone targets and nine targets inside the 10. Conklin is just two of each. So when, when the bread's getting buttered, Irv has still been the guy that they use in kind of those foxhole situations and scoring touchdowns. Uh, so he's probably my favorite choice out of those guys. Uh, but I think there's a case to be made for a lot of guys like we do every year at tight end. And then every year, none of them really work out, but that's all right. I have one for you on that. I think Gerald <laughs> Everett reuniting. Oh, yeah, I like Gerald coach. Everett. And if we go back over history, Will Disley was a top six tight end over a stretch, you know, and points per game. You know, it's not a stretch to think that Everett will be a top five, top six tight end at the end of the season. So the past four years, Russell Wilson has been first or second in uh, end zone targets in the NFL, throws into the end zone, first or second uh, the last four years. Uh, so, you know, when you're, where you got a tight end and you're taking a tight end flyer one, it's not bad just to attach them to a good quarterback anyways, but a guy that is going to offer some scoring touchdown upside, because, you know, I mean, if you can just score a bucket of touchdowns at tight end, like that's going to get you, it's going to get you into oh, yeah. the mix of being a tight end one. Oh yeah. <laughs> Reese, who do you like in that, that you think people are overlooking? Overlooking? Yeah. Oh, you have a favorite tight end dart throw? Oh, if you miss out on one of the probably fan. Like, I'll tell you the other guy. He's not a tight end. That a receiver, I think, and I think you like him. That's being um, underappreciated is Thielen right now, and only because Jefferson's hurt or nicked up. You know, Thielen could have a receiver fifteen to twenty season. Is that reasonable, Rich? Yeah, he just did it last year. And um, another one, narrow target tree, and there's not a lot of depth behind them. Uh, so as long as he stays on the field, the targets are going to be there for him. And he's a guy, he led the NFL in end zone targets last year. He's a guy, he will have some regression uh, in terms of scoring. You know, 65% of his end zone targets were touchdowns last year. Uh, prior to his career, uh, he had converted just 40% of those for touchdowns. So there will be a little regression there, but there's nothing there as long as he stays healthy. After Justin Jefferson, I mean, this depth chart, B.C. Johnson, D.D. Westbrook, uh, you know, Brandon Zilstra, B.B., the, the ball's got it. It's again, it's like we talked about with the Titans. I mean, the ball's going to, when they throw the football, it's going to Thielen, Jefferson, and Smith. And, you know, they're going to mix in Dalvin Cook. Yeah. There, there's just not a lot of depth. So as long as he stays on the field, he probably is a touch undervalued at this point. Another one of those narrow target trees is the Packers. Yeah, but oh, the Adam, narrowest. <laughs> yeah, you have Adams, Bob Tanyan, and Aaron Jones. And a little bit of Cobb, whatever's left of his career. Yeah, I mean, Devontae Adams is set up just again. I mean, he's another guy, like, we can't count him to catch probably 18 touchdowns again. Hmm. And Aaron Rodgers to have the touchdown production that he had last year, especially Aaron Rodgers threw eight touchdowns from the one-yard line last year. Like that's just that's just silly. Uh, so there'll probably be some a little bit of reversion there as well. But if you look at Adams, he still scored double-digit touchdowns in four of the past five years. Uh, he had the most PPR points per game in any season since Jerry Rice in 1995, the most standard receiving points per game since Randy Moss in 2007, the year he joined the Patriots. And you talked about it. Like, there's just – they didn't add anything to really threaten things. They add Randall Cobb who's 31 years old, hasn't had 900 yards and basically the last six years in any season. You add Amari Rodgers, who's now going to get reverted to like the jet motion guy, a package player with them adding Cobb, and they still got Valdez Scantling and Lazard. It's, I mean, Devontae Adams is going to get peppered with targets repeatedly again. There's just no way around it. He's going to get jammed with as much targets as he can handle again. Oh, yeah. 
And you are high on Thielen, aren't you? Yes. He's one of my playing my flags in my book. And so the Thielen's um, ADP is what? In the low 20s? Uh, yeah, like right around, like a lower end wide receiver two right now. Yeah. I just think he's receiver 15, 18 kind of range kind of guy. In fact, yeah, I mean, you see a, a lot of these drafts now, you know, uh, people are shooting, shooting their shots a little bit on guys around Thielen's ADP. Like I said, we brought up Claypool earlier in the show. Jamar Chase goes around there. Uh, Deontay Johnson. Um, you know, but it, it's, or you, Chris Godwin, you brought up earlier too. Uh, like those guys all kind of go ahead and around Thielen, uh, but are in a situation where they have a lot more work to share with either another receiver, um, or don't also have the, the proven background to the floor of Thielen. Yeah. I'd rather Thielen than either of those two Steelers by far, but just because, I mean, I don't know, Claypool is going to be hit and miss every week. Like, you know, the, <laughs> The Hall of Fame game was interesting to me, Rich. Just the more I watch it, you'd cheer for Claypool, and then you'd be like, what are you doing? You know, and up and down, up and down. And so I think that's how it's going to be with no O-line, Ben at the end of his career. There's a lot of risk in the Steelers' offensive uh, passing game. I mean, where those guys all go, it, it's it's tricky because, you know, because Juju goes a little bit lower than them too. And then, you know, they, they basically signal they want to run the football more. Whether they'll be capable or able to or not, you know, we we're kind of talking about that too, uh, with the offensive line situation. I mean, they are going to run a lot of motion to kind of try to aid that, try to create some, you know, opportunities to kind of help that offensive line. Uh, but I mean, they're not going to run the same offense they ran last year, where they, we knew that they were just going to drop back, you know, sixty-five to seventy percent of the time, throw quick hitters, and these guys are going to be able to stack receptions. That's going to be removed a little bit this year. So even a guy like Deontay Johnson who has never been a guy that, that really projects to be a high touchdown score. Uh, if he loses that grip on target share, because that's what was floating in last year. He was just getting target after target after target. Even when, with the drops, didn't matter because he was just getting pepper with targets. And he, he had such a high PPR floor. If that kind of is up in the air a little bit, Claypool takes a step forward. Uh, Juju plays better then, or Juju's used in a different role than he was last year because they, you know, Juju really didn't, play strictly the slot intermediate guy that like he was last year his first three years uh you know he ran 85 percent of his routes in the slot he is his average depth of target was just six yards that's a far cry from what it was the first three years of his career so if that changes back too it could hurt a guy like Deontay Johnson it's really tough I think to take a guy like Deontay Johnson right around wide receiver 20 like we talked about you know some of the names around there he's he goes right around Julio Jones now talked about him uh, DJ Moore, Odell Beckham goes after him. Um, there's a situation where we look back on this and hindsight and all those guys outscore him. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you there. Reese, what are you thinking? I'm thinking for, I'll take Juju Smith-Schuster where he's going like right around wide receiver 35 over mm-hmm. either of those other two any day of the week. Cause one that's probably going to catch a touchdown every week. So you're flipping a three-sided coin essentially on who's it, who it will who will catch it, and I'd much rather pay three or four rounds later for that third of a touchdown every week. Yep. Yep. Miss out on Julio, but you also by that you would you could punt you could go running back early, get a decent receiver, and then end up with Juju and Brown as your uh, Antonio Brown as your two three and be okay. I mean or Thielen, Juju, and Brown, you know, and be okay. Yeah, I mean, there's a real good case for all those guys are undervalued at this point. Oh, yeah. 
So final question, and this does not relate to fantasy football as much, but with the expanded with the schedule expanding to 17 games, do you think there should be an asterisk next to any of the records that were set in the 16-game season or even the 14-game seasons of old? Yeah, I mean, it'll, it'll always be brought up whether it's an official asterisk or not. Uh, you know, it's funny is when I added the game of projections and the projections uh, this season, just like seeing the amount of guys that were like flirting with 100 catches. Remember, that used to be a holy grail growing up. If a guy could catch a hundred passes, it was such yeah. an, it was such an amazing season. And now the way the NFL is being so pass heavy and adding a game, the amount of players that are even just from projection stance at a hundred catches or higher, it's just like, Whoa, like this is such a far cry from when, you know, when I watched football growing up. Uh, so, I mean, there will definitely be that. the big thing you hear about Kyle Pitts, right? All these, all the history of rookie tight ends right? Versus Kyle Pitts. We not only does Kyle Pitts have just the tarmac of being a different situation, being a different type of player, but now he's an extra game too. Like he's got tremendous odds to break these, all these rookie <laughs> tight end. It's like, uh, so, I mean, yeah, it'll, it, it might not be a complete asterisk, but it'll definitely always be brought up. Uh, remember Randy Moss broke the touchdown record a couple of years ago and Jerry Rice, I believe did it in 12 games the year the, there was a strike. Yeah. Uh, you know, he, Randy Moss still gets the record in the record books, but you know, the Jerry always gets kind of brought up like, well, Hey, he did it in only this amount of games. Uh, so you'll have that, but we are, especially from a passing stance, I think the numbers are about to be borderline silly. And what that is going to happen is we've already seen some wide receivers with really good career numbers, like not be able to get in the hall. Well, it's been really hard for wide receivers to get into the hall period. And we're going to have these guys retire with just silly numbers. Like, and there's gonna be so many of them. Yeah. Uh, by the time their career ends. And it's going to be really interesting to see how many of these guys can actually get in um, based on just the, the passing production from this era and not adding a game on top of this, uh, especially if the NFL is not going to call any penalties like they did last year. I mean, uh, for, for them not to call holding penalties at the lowest rate uh, since since it's been tracked, uh, it's that, that that's going to be, that's going to play right in off his hands again. Uh, we will get crowd noise back this year, at least there. Well, we think we will, we'll see. I doubt, I doubt we get a full lockdown again, but uh, you know, that was a big factor too. Last year was such a high scoring season because of the penalties and, you know, teams uh, not having home field advantage. It was the first year uh, that I tracked uh, that had road road quarterbacks outperformed home quarterbacks. Uh, basically across the board, uh, which, which is pretty unheard of. Uh, so, I mean, we'll probably see that come back down too. Um, but yeah, I really believe this era of passing and this passing, these are about to be insane with the extra, extra game added on just the way the game is played. And if they decide not to call penalties again, uh, we might see some crazy numbers. So two things, Rich, I, I threw this at Reese earlier today. Devonte Adams has a chance for 200 targets this year. Fair oh, yeah. or not fair? Yes. Fair. How many did he have last year? 191. Uh, well, let's see. He missed two games. What did he finish with? Did he, he still finish with like 190, right? Yeah. I was thinking like 190 or 193. But you think about. Oh, he had 150. I'm sorry. He had 149 in 14 games. So 10, 10 a game. And he, one of those games was he played hurt. Yeah. So he has a chance. And I just meant he was on pace for 190 last year or something like that. Yeah. One, you know what I mean? Taking out the one he got hurt. Well, taking out the one he got hurt. And he has a chance. The other ones, I, I, the other implication, Reese, and I wanted to ask you this, is I think there's going to be a higher injury rate because they're playing one extra game and only having one bye week still. True. But there's not this much high injury rate because of the non, because they don't have that preseason game. 
but they didn't play that much. Yeah. And there's still one big name that was getting injured every year in preseason, at least. Possibly. But I mean, two you- years ago, Michael Thomas had 185. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely in his range of outcomes, I believe, to, to at least push it. Uh, also, the Packers probably won't be as good record-wise as they were last year, just the way things set up for them. You know, schedule-wise, them being just so hyper-efficient, all those things will come back. They'll have to chase game script a little bit. And uh, when you're not having as much efficiency, it leads to more volume. So I think it's definitely at least in the range of outcomes for him to get there, whether or not he gets the full 200 or not. Uh, but it's definitely up there. What do you think about injuries? See, I think that you could make a case that there's going to be a higher injury rate as well. I believe it'll come down from last year uh, just because, you know, and this is not my area uh, because I'm not a doctor, but, you know, I remember Dr. Gene and Edwin Porras from Fantasy Points doing a study that last year that correlated last year's reduced training camp and lack of preseason activity to kind of the 2011 season when they had the lockout and talking about the amount of soft tissue injuries that were in that season. And that kind of came to fruition last year. So just them having an actual training camp and an actual ramp up to the season actually might help the soft tissue injury kind of front and kind of, kind of go back to normal. But uh, that's not really my area. That'd just be a hundred percent guesswork on my part. Uh, kind of doing that but I know last year those guys were both kind of highlighting that there was going to be a lot more hamstrings and soft tissue injuries because of what happened last offseason and that played out in totality it was up last year yeah I was just thinking you had six percent more games six per you know six percent more carries for Derrick Henry and all those guys six percent here you know that's all I was I'm thinking. curious to just know if we see the NFL adopt anything like the NBA has done especially at the running back position adding a game yeah. will there be any load management uh with these guys you know a guy like Derrick Henry comes to mind or these teams that have capable backups like if the Browns had uh, a game on Sunday where Nick Chubb had 20 seven touches or say 25 touches and they turn around and play in a Thursday game, why not just give them the week off and, and let Kareem Hunt play? Uh, you know, the Cowboys could do that with Tony Pollard, uh, you know, the the Packers with A.J. Dillon, the 49ers with most certain sermon, the Bucks with all the guys that we talked about. Um, I'm really curious if this added game does anything in terms of that. If we start to see any load management type weeks, especially at the running back position and these guys that get all these high caliber touches, because to me, that would make a lot of inherent sense. But right. we know when the bullets are flying, you're trying to win these games because there are only 17 of them still, which is lighter than still all the other sports uh, teams want to win games. But to me, especially on like those short weeks, uh, it would make sense uh, for us to see some load management. Yeah, that's that was part of where I was going as I was thinking we could see carry not maybe not Henry this year, but in the future, somebody break the number of carries record or passes attempted or whatever, you know, well, the carries records. Um, well, North of 400 by James Wilder. Same that one's probably going to be tough. I mean, anything that involves rushing is still probably going to be tough, yeah. but these passing stats like this era is going to blow. Like I said, I'm really worried about the, uh, not worried about it, but just curious to see like when some of these guys finish their careers, and from a receiver, you know, perspective, you know, uh, if they just they're hurt by this era that they played in and we might even see it a little. We've seen it a little bit with the guys, you know, Isaac Bruce took him a while to get in. Uh, we're still seeing, you know, Torrey Holt still trying to fight uh, to, to get in. Um, and, you know, what about when guys like Brandon Marshall come up and Steve Smith? Um, those are guys I believe had Hall of Fame type careers, but are they going to be guys that get in the first ballot? Um, probably not the way it goes typically uh, with these guys, but, and then go on, you know, 
for these guys that, that are currently in the midst of their careers right now. And when they wrap up their careers, just what the career numbers are going to look like for some of these players, it's going to be absolutely bonkers. Oh yeah. And like <laughs> even Fitzgerald or some of those guys are, you know, easy hall of fame, you know, in five years or six. And so it's going to be even harder for the Tory Holtz if they're not in by then. But I was surprised you knew the, the wilder one of uh, 400 uh, carries. Because I would have thought it would have been a Steven Jackson or one of those kind of guys. Old football cards. Yeah. <laughs> that's the that's the way, man. That's why we that's why he's hosting the show. That's why it's his name, not mine. He's the he's the, you know, I'm just carrying the mail and uh, carrying <laughs> his bags for him. I'm glad someone does. Yeah, I bet you are. Rich, <laughs> thank you for uh, joining us. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime you guys want to have me, uh, I, I'm welcome as long as I can make the time. It gets tougher in season, but I always love coming out and talking to you guys and, uh, you know, just trying to keep, uh, you know, attachment to Reese for when I have to apply for a job, you know, one oh, day yeah. under. You do hold the record so far. Yeah. I mean, of how many, who's been on the show the, long, the most times? Oh, awesome. I'll take it. Don't worry. I'm pretty sure the moment I see a Rich Rebar on application, I'll accept it. <laughs> that's that's why i'm coming on man I'm, I'm 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 clearing the lane right now preparing for your future just like i'm trying to do have a good one rich all right appreciate it guys